Oh, you know, one of the things we've been going through over the last several weeks, uh, we've been examining areas of life that could potentially stress us out, uh, could lead to some problems, and uh, we've talked about several of them. And uh, we've learned that um, and examined that difficult areas of life, um, such as living in a world that has a philosophy that's totally different than that of God's. Being surrounded by people in a world, and particularly the media that, that uh, so bombards us every day with uh, philosophies and attitudes that are contrary to what the Bible says is God's will for our life. And uh, so as we go through this, it begins to, to make sense to me that you know, we need to examine some things every time we get together to see if, wait a minute, you know, if, is what we're hearing representative of what God would have in our life? We saw how difficult it is to live in a world where we're outnumbered by people that are in rebellion against God. Uh, how difficult it is uh, when we worry about certain things and how difficult it is uh, as we go through it when we're suffering in different areas, when we're tested and tempted and discouraged. And today we're going to talk about something that's, that's kind of unique in that it seems to be a problem that's unique to Christians. As a non-Christian, I can remember being discouraged. And as a non-Christian, I can remember being uh, even outnumbered in a group at times. And as a non-Christian, I could remember suffering in my life. And I can remember all of those things. But there's something that's quite unique that Christians go through that non-Christians don't have to deal with. And uh, I thought it would be kind of interesting today to take a look at it because many of us struggle in this area and we beat ourselves to de death over it. And that's, uh, how can we... Oh, anybody want to guess what it is? How can we uh, stand firm in the, in the matter of knowing God's will for our life? The next step will just about take me over. But uh, how do you stand firm on knowing what God's will is for our life? It's an interesting question. And believe it or not, it's one that could cause a stress in the life of a believer. I think it's fascinating. Uh, it's an area that uh, I've struggled with since I've become a Christian but I never thought about it before I was a Christian. Several years ago, in 1976, Linda and I, and at the time our oldest daughter was six months old, we decided to pack a U-Haul and move 3,000 miles across country from Pennsylvania to California. And uh, we did it at the time because we just thought it was a good idea. We're so glad you did. Yeah, you know what? And I'm glad too because I got to meet you. <laughs> And oh, Tom said to let you know that uh, he went out and bought, what, how much did you pay? About, probably $1.50 uh, for a toupee so that it'd fit in with the college group. But, uh, <laughs> but, he, but he lost it in the wind on the way over here. So <laughs> if you see it laying around out there, you know who to give it to. It'll probably look like a, maybe a clump of leaves or something, but, but uh, you can give it to Tom. But uh, you know what? I mean, as far as when we made that decision, we didn't consult God. I mean, that was the most, that was, that was, an, that was, that was a, a notion that was totally foreign. I mean, actually, it was non-existent. And we just said, hey, it seems like a good idea. We're going to just go ahead and do it. And yet, after I became a Christian, I wrestled with many decisions. And each decision that I wrestled with, all of a sudden now, there's a new equation. And that is, is that something God would have me do? God, is that the thing that I should be doing? Is this the place I should be going? I mean, what, what do you want? I mean, what's your will? 
And so we begin to struggle with a whole new area of life that we've never had to deal with before. And as a result, I've seen many people just become totally stressed out and almost be ineffective to the point of making a decision. It's like they're neutralized. Well, I'm not sure. Is that God, what God wants to do? I don't know. Well, and so what we do is we keep wrestling back and forth with whether that's what God would have us to do, and we don't do anything. Is that right? Is that God's will? <laughs> you know, just one more, one more thing to think about. So as we go through this, in my experience with others who have struggled in this area, I've just seen, seen us beat ourselves to death over this particular subject. And I think that, it, that God wants us to know his will. You know, our God's not a God of confusion. And as a result, he is in, in the business of trying to get his will known to his people so that we would know how to live a life that's more pleasing to him. And on top of all of that, then all of a sudden you read things like, like in the Ephesians 5.17. It says, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So I'm looking at it going, well, wait a minute. God's saying, hey, don't be a fool, but know what my will is. Indicating that it is knowable, that he wants us to understand it. And so what I want to do is we're going to go through a couple of things as, as we progress here in, this morning. But Winston Churchill once described the actions of Russia in the following manner. He said, it is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And many Christians, I think, have the same attitude towards the will of God. It's a mystery. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Can you ever really figure it out? Can you ever really know it? And uh, that's why some of us view it. So how many of you remember the old TV show, That's Incredible? That's incredible. Remember something, they'd put some little spot on, and at the end, the audience would say, that's incredible. Ah, see, here's the audience participation time. And I live for this every week, I really do. Because <laughs> I know you do. Because you call and say, hey, can you involve us more? <laughs> so, you know, I keep trying to come up with ways to do it. And uh, so, here, here's, here, your, your response is going to be, that's, no, 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 no. No, so you're getting ahead of yourselves here. Your response is going to be, that's ridiculous. We've got to change the show, otherwise I think there's probably copyright laws and things we'll violate, and I don't want to do that. But uh, that's ridiculous. Can you just practice it on three? One, two, three. Oh, that is excellent. That was really good. I think we're going to go far with this. Okay, here's the situations. Some of us have come up with the weirdest ways to determine the will of God. It's kind of like hocus-pocus, razzle-dazzle, here we go, that's God's will. All right? I'm going to have to have a signal because I can see you're going to get out of hand, you know? That's the problem with this audience participation. It's a very dangerous thing. Once you turn that spigot on, man, you're just like, which, oh, which reminds me of a story. No. But uh, always shut those valves off under the sink before you take the faucet apart. They don't tell you that at Home Depot, you know. They just sell you the parts. Because everybody should know that. Anyway, here we go. There's a lady who's struggling with going on a trip to Israel. She's always wanted to go to the Holy Land. She has the money. She has the time. She has the strength. She has the desire. She doesn't know whether she should go or not. So she's reading through the brochure. And in the brochure, it says that the flight accommodations would be on a 747. So she goes to bed, and she's praying about it, and she wakes up in the morning, and she looks over at her digital alarm clock, and it says 747. That's the sign from God. 
to go to Israel. Yeah, this is going to work. This, I think this has some potential here. All right. Here's a young guy I talked to in the college group. He needed a car. He loves the Lord. He wants to do what's right. Seeking the Lord's will. Lord, what kind of car should I drive? So he has a series of dreams. And in the dreams, everything is yellow. So he wakes up in the morning, and he looks in the yellow pages. And he finds some used car lots. And he goes to two or three of them. And the third one he goes to, there's a yellow car. The will of God. Doesn't even test drive it. Just buys it. Guess what? No, no, not yet. It turns out to be a lemon. That's ridiculous. But that's the way it works. All right, and there was a lady who was wrestling with another decision in her life, and she didn't know what it was going to be, and it was like it could go either direction. And so many of us, how many of you have thrown out the old fleece? Thrown out the old fleece? How many of you know what I'm talking about? The same people that have thrown them out. <laughs> oh, that's it. So anyway, they throw out the, she throws out the fleece. Okay, God, if you want me to do option A, then as I go around the bend at the next light, keep it green until I get there. That's the fleece. You know, it's interesting. I heard, here's, a, here's an interesting one. Here was a, a young man who's a Christian who's in Washington, D.C. And he was really struggling with the direction God would want him to go in his life. He didn't know what he was going to do for a career. He didn't know what God wanted him to do. So as he was driving around Washington, D.C., probably wondering what he was going to do, he ran out of gas. Because sometimes wondering what you're going to do preoccupies your time that you don't think about things you need to be doing, right? So anyway, he runs out of gas. Guess where he runs out of gas? In front of the... Uh, uh, the Philippine Embassy. So guess what he determines? It's God's will for him to be a missionary in the Philippines. <laughs> Think about this for a minute. Now I wonder if he would have got stuck in an elevator with a single gal named Mary. Would that have been God's will to marry her? <laughs> you know, we may do this in a round in a minute, you know, just to kind of keep breaking it up. But, you know, I mean, we, we come up with all kinds of different ways. Here's the best one. Here's a Christian, and I, and I talked to a friend who has done this. I said, well, you know, he's struggling with making a decision. I said, well, uh, how do you know what's the right thing to do? He said, well, I just kind of, I, I, I read through my Bible. Well, that's a good start. Well, how did you determine what to do? I said, well, I, you know, I'm not, I, don't, I just kind of went. And then here, here, one man did that, and here's the, here's the, 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 the verse for his day was, Jesus, Judas went and hung himself. <laughs> he was shocked. He didn't know what to do. So he gave it a quick flip and he read this verse. Go and do thou likewise. <laughs> he was still bewildered. He flipped again and said, whatever so thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> Not bad. Here's a little one closer to home. What's that? You know, oh, would you, would, oh, would you please? I am, uh, please. I've got time. That's
That's ridiculous. You know, I thought we made a deal. You'd give me the best ones. And you didn't come through with me for, oh, this, oh, that was great. Oh, let's get a little more serious, if that's possible. A little closer to home. I've shared with you the friend of ours who prayed about leaving his pregnant wife and two small kids and was convinced that was God's will. A little closer to home. We had a couple who invited us to dinner for the first time. We just got to meet them, and uh, they invited us to dinner, and we decided we would go to dinner. Uh, they had asked me to come and speak at a Bible study that they had, and I did for just, you know, a one-night type thing. And they asked us to come to dinner, you know, afterwards. So we decided to go ahead and do it. We had a great time, great dinner. And uh, a couple weeks later, this gal decides to leave her husband. I got a call from a friend of theirs, and, they, and here's what she said. Well, so-and-so decided to leave her husband because when you were at dinner that night, you never asked if she was thinking about leaving her husband. Now that's stinking ridiculous. And I said, hey, you know what? Don't you, and you tell her, don't, <laughs> don't you ever blame me for what you want to do that's wrong before God. Don't play that guilt trip on me. So what am I supposed to do every time somebody invites me for dinner for the first time, ask them, so you're thinking about getting a divorce? <laughs> it's a real interesting table conversation. I'll tell you what'll happen. I won't have to worry about getting invited to dinner too often. Don't invite this guy to dinner. We were getting along fine, and I don't know. He got this word from the Lord uh, that we were thinking about getting a divorce. Now I'm starting to think that's not a bad idea. Maybe that's God's will. <laughs> but, uh, and I thought, man, you know what? How brutal that is. When you think about it, that's ridiculous. And yet, so many of us come up with that type of logic. And if I would have asked, then I wouldn't have asked the right question, no matter what it was, because she had already decided what she wanted to do. See, she wasn't seeking God's will in that situation. She was looking for an excuse. She was looking for something somewhere to validate what she already knew was wrong but she wanted to do it anyway. See, I don't want to overly simplify this because there are, some, there are some genuine, intelligent, God-fearing people who struggle with very real decisions every day in their life. And so, you know, we, we've looked at the ridiculous, but now I want to share some things with you that aren't as ridiculous. And there are things that, just in my daily conversations with people and things that I struggle with myself, Talked to a young guy who's a high school athlete who has probably two dozen full scholarship offers, universities across the country. The guy's an incredible athlete. He's gifted. He's struggling with, man, where do I go to school? See, we don't have choices, it makes it easy. What if he had 24 colleges to choose from? What's the will of God? Well, his dad obviously knows that it's the school that he went to. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, what, what should he do? Where should he go? That's a legitimate question. And that's one that he'll struggle with. I know a single, single gal who is quite happy to be single. She has been for a long time. She lives a very 
kind of carefree lifestyle. She, you know, there, there's some benefits to being single, and the Bible says that there are. And all of a sudden, she's finding that she's attracted to several guys in her church. She's never thought about marriage. And all of a sudden, she's wondering which one of these guys she should date. It's a legitimate question. And as the relationship progresses, then we ask the next obvious question, and that is, is this the right man for me to marry? Is this what God would have me do in my life? That's a legitimate question. Is it God's will? We've had several friends through our work with, you know, here, through here and through people um, that have, we, we've met um, through our work with the Rams who have, you know, been traded and moved across country. And uh, they've moved, and every time that it happens to someone that's close to us, they've tried to convince us that we should move with them. You know, and we've struggled on occasions whether that would be the right thing to do. See, is, if it's God's will for them in their life, does it necessarily mean that it's God's will for us in our life? I've known friends who have had, you know, a child who was sick and has had to move to a different climate and has had to do that for that, per, for that express reason. Who have said, hey, have you ever thought about moving to so-and-so? See, what was clearly God's will for them wasn't for us. There's some difficult decisions that have to be made. And we've gone through it. We struggle with people that are in business. Do you, do you file a lawsuit or don't you? If you do, how much money do you keep pouring into it? When do you draw the line? When do you cut your losses? When do you stop? Met a guy who's struggling in business. When do I shut it down? When do I, where do, when do I cut my losses? When do I look for other employment? What am I supposed to do? What's God's will for me? See, you know, it, it goes on and on. I have a, my accountant friend decided to move to Colorado. Just met with him two weeks ago. And he went through this process of determining whether it was the right thing to do. And as he was making his final decisions, he was starting to get real nervous about it. And we met and we had lunch. And he just said, Chuck, I'm not sure if this is what God's will is. You know, help me walk through the process just to make sure that I'm thinking the right direction. Don't make my decision for me. And I said, thank you very much. I don't plan to. But, uh, you know, just help me go through it. And so we had a real interesting time talking about specifically the subject. I've got guys that are on the Rams right now that are on what they call Plan B, and Plan B means that they're free agents to negotiate with any team that would want their services. I've got one friend that's got four trips scheduled, I mean one long week trip scheduled to four different teams. What's God's will? The one that won the Super Bowl last year? The one that pays the most money? I mean, what other factors do you have to consider in making a decision like that? See, because the world would look at it and say, hey man, go to the one that won the Super Bowl. Go to the one that's going to pay you the most money. Go to the one that'll give you the biggest signing bonus and, and, ex, you know, and, and extend the risk more toward their side than your side. There are, there are a lot of factors to consider. How many children do you have? We've got friends that they've got three boys. He wants two more kids. She's like, Judas went and hung himself. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's enough. You know, and, and, you know, and they both love the Lord. What do you do? Those are real valid questions that we have to ask. And it's obvious that God does not want us to be foolish, but he wants us to understand what his will is for our life. 
And so I think what we're going to do is to break it out to, to get a better handle on it. Um, I want to break it out into two parts. In the, in the first part, in helping us understand the will of God, is found in understanding that God has a determined will. God has a determined will. See, the determined will of God is going to occur. It's going to occur. It's inevitable. It's unconditional. It's irresistible. There's nothing that you and I can do to resist it and to change it. It's fixed for all of eternity. And it includes everything that you can think of to a large degree. It includes our circumstances. It includes whether we suffer or not. It includes the day that we are born. It includes the day that we die. It includes the appointment and boundaries of nations. It includes the appointment of, of kings and queens and political world leaders. It includes all of that. All of that has been determined by the will of God. And there's nothing that you and I can ever do to thwart the purposes and plan of God. We need to understand that because there is God's determined will which is etched for all of eternity and is non-negotiable. And in fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. See, the Bible clearly teaches that our lives are not a series of coincidences. Whatever happens, happens. Dumb luck chance, all the things that the world we live in would, would try to equate certain situations to. Man, just in the right place at the right time. You know, just all of those types of nebulous things. That's the philosophy of the world. But the Bible teaches very specifically that that's not true. That God has a determined plan that is inevitable, that's irrefutable and cannot be changed. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see some of that that's revealed, starting with verse 3. See, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his determined will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he proposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of all times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, having, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. It's really a fascinating passage, and it talks about the fact that God is in control. That God's in control. And he's revealed this mystery throughout time, and he's revealed this mystery and summed it all up in the person of Jesus Christ. 
How was God gonna, going to reconcile a rebellious world to himself? How was he going to do it? That has been the plan for all of eternity. And you know what's interesting to me? That even sin was part of the predetermined plan of God. Now listen very carefully. God did not cause sin. But God understood that man would sin. God allowed man to sin. He did not cause him to sin. That's why James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says, hey, you know what, don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. You know, God cannot tempt anyone to do evil. God is not the cause of evil in the world. God does not cause you and I to sin. God did not cause Adam and Eve to sin so that he could carry out his plan. He did not do that. So don't be deceived by that. Sin is a part of the world, and God understood it. And you know how he understood it? He understood that it was going to be part of the world, and as a result, he had a remedy for it in the person of Jesus Christ. It says, from the foundation of the world, God's plan had always been to reconcile a rebellious world to himself through Jesus Christ. It was planned from the very beginning. And it's a confusing thing. And when we sit there and we start wrestling with, well, is it pre no, it's predestined, it was predetermined. And it was determined. And it's interesting to me that I can look back, for example, in a personal way, I can look at us moving from Pennsylvania to California in hindsight as the determined will of God for my life. Even though when we made the decision, God never figured into the equation. But God had a plan. And he had a purpose for my life. Did I still have free will to choose? Absolutely. Did God know what I was going to choose? Absolutely. See, our God is not a God who, this isn't a chess game. Our God's not a God that we make a move and then he kind of counters that move in hopes that somewhere along the line he can checkmate us. Our God knows every move we're going to make before we make it. And as a result, he's already got it figured out in the plan. It's absolutely mind-boggling, but it's absolutely comforting as well. I know that God's will for my life today was for my family to move from Pennsylvania to California so that he can introduce us to the person of Jesus Christ. I know that today. I didn't know that then. Didn't have a clue. In fact, I thought we were moving for a whole bunch of different reasons, and I had a whole list of them. And God just said, I got a better idea. See, that's God's determined will. Turn with me to Daniel for a moment. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Look at verse 35. It's mind-boggling in a way if you, if you begin to understand the ramifications of this. I mean, it can really hurt your head sometimes if you struggle with it. But it can be the greatest thing in the world to comfort you if you don't. It says in verse 35, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but God does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one could ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Nothing's going to thwart the purpose and plan of God for each one of our lives. Nothing. I'm comforted by that. I really am. Because I know I'm in God's hands. Whatever God's plan for my life is, it will come to fruition. 
And I know this, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But whatever happens, it's going to be for the good and the glory of God. Isn't that wonderful to know that you're part of that plan? That whatever he does in your life is going to be for his glory and for his purpose? See, that's God's determined will. But there's also something else that we can struggle with. And if you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew for a moment, chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And here's where the fun starts. Matthew 24, look at verse 7, 37. That's not the right passage. This could be another one of those things. Whoa, look at this. Okay, turn to 2 Peter. That's the right passage. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 8 and 9. Here's a good one, and it has to do with the second part of what we're going to talk about, and that's God's desired will. God has a determined will that we can't stop. God has a determined will that we cannot resist. There's nothing we can do to change it. But God also has a desired will, and that's a whole different story. It says in 2 Peter 2, and this is where misinterpretations of Scripture come into play. Because I've seen people read this and say, oh, wait a minute. It says in verse 8, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What's God's will? What's God's desired will? What's God's desired will as far as mankind is concerned? That everyone would repent and turn to him. That is God's desired will. Jesus, as he looked over the city of Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, as I would have gathered you as a hen would gather her chicks, but you did not want any part of me. What was his desired will? His desired will was that his people would turn to him and receive him as the coming Messiah. That was his desired will. It's his desired will that every person repent and turn to Christ. That's his desired will. It's his desired will in Ephesians chapter 5 that we don't be foolish, but we know what the will of the Lord is. It's his desired will in chapter 5 of Ephesians that husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's his desired will in the same passage that we don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's his desired will. And on and on it goes. That's God's desired will. Now, what's the problem? Does God's desired will always come to pass? Absolutely not. And that's obvious, because the Bible clearly teaches that not all men will repent that not all people will trust in Christ. And that's why there's a place called hell for those who don't. That's part of God's predetermined or determined will. He's made provisions 
for the free will and choice of man. Now, what becomes confusing is, is that God has a determined will, God has a desired will, and the only way that it, that it helps me to understand it is kind of break it out and put it down on a piece of paper and you can benefit from it, but his determined will is very simple. It's predestined, it's comprehensive, it's eternal, it's going to happen, it can't be stopped, it's, it's God's sovereignty, and the purpose of all of it is to glorify God. That's it in a nutshell, the determined will of God. Now, his desired will, if you look at the other side of it, actually requires our cooperation. I've got to cooperate with him if I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm going to, I've got to cooperate with God's desired will if I'm not to get drunk. I've got to cooperate with God's desired will if no unwholesome word is to come out of my mouth, but I'm to be edifying in everything that I say. I'm the, I've got to cooperate with the desired will of God if, I've, if I'm to work hard for a living and not be lazy or steal. I've got to cooperate with the desired word of God, that the will of God, that I would be honest in all my communication with you and with others, and that I wouldn't lie and I wouldn't shade the truth and I wouldn't make up stories and I wouldn't talk around certain things. I've got to be honest. That's God's desired will for my life. And on and on it goes. You see how it works? God's desired will is that we love one another. God's desired will is that we bear one another's burdens. God's desired will is that we speak kindly to one another, that we're gentle with each other, that we show kindness, that we show patience, uh, you know, and, and that we don't act unbecomingly. And we consider what's best for the other person instead of ourselves. That's God's desired will. But I've got a choice. I can lie. I can cheat. I can steal. I can abuse my wife. I can abuse my kids, mentally, emotionally, physically. All those things are choices. You can do all of those things. I can get drunk. I can be stupid. I can tell dumb jokes. And I do. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm still struggling with that area. And, uh, and on it goes. See, God's desired will requires our cooperation. And it's limited. It's temporal. It has to do with how we live on this earth. It has to do with how we, we conduct ourselves before God, before He calls us home. It's, 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 it's now. It's today. It's dealing with life. See, that's God's desired will. And it may or may not come to be. We can fight it. We can resist it. It's our responsibility. And yet, you know, the amazing thing is, when I'm obedient to the desired will of God, I bring glory to God in everything that I do, in everything that I say, in everything that I think. See, his determined will brings him glory, and his desired will is that God's people bring him glory as well. His desired will is that you praise his name before a world that hates him. That's his desire. And we can bring glory to God by doing it. And so as we go through that, I think that we need to start to ask ourselves some questions and it becomes application time, so to speak. And I want to read, I want to read something to you that may help. Uh, J. Grant Howard in his book, it's called Knowing God's Will and Doing It. He writes this, Can I know the determined will of God for my life? Yes, after it has occurred. You now know that God's determined will for your life was that you'd be born, and this is really important to understand, and I think this would help us deal with a lot of problems that we have in our society. God doesn't make mistakes. That's his determined will. 
Whatever has happened has happened, and he's determined it for his purpose and to bring him glory. And the, and the quicker we adjust to that and understand it, the less we'll resist it and fight what's determined because we can't change that. And he says this, It's God's determined will for your life was that you'd be born of certain parents, that you'd be born in a certain location, that you'd be born under certain conditions, that you'd be male or female, that you know that God determined for you to have certain failures, certain experiences, certain teachers, certain interests, certain friends, a certain kind of education, certain brothers and sisters, or perhaps to be an only child. So you know that was God's determined will. In other words, everything that has happened into your life to this moment has been part of God's determined will for your life. It has happened because he has determined it to be so. He says, but what about the future? Some of us need to deal with the past and ask God to forgive us for challenging and questioning why he's done what he's done up to this point. I'm who I am because God chose me to be who I am. And he used whatever means he decided to get me here. That was his choice. In my height, in the color of my eyes, and whether I lose my hair, and any of that stuff. I'm not going to challenge him or question him. I'm not going to blame him. I just want to thank him that I'm part of the program. Considering the alternatives, I may not have been here at all. And some of you are saying, amen, hallelujah. But no, but think about it. We need to deal with that. We need to ask God to forgive us for ever questioning anything he's done up to this point in our life. But now we need to deal with the future. What do you do about the future? Can I know any part of God's determined will for my life in the future? It says your spiritual position and eternal destiny are the only two things you can know with certainty. If you are in Christ now, you can know for certain that you will remain in Christ at every moment in the future. If you are not a Christian, you are in sin right now, and you can know for certain that you will remain in that spiritually dead position in the future unless, unless and until you personally receive Christ as your Savior. So you know if you know the Lord, you're going to know the Lord, and He's going to be with you for all of eternity, and He's prepared a place for you. And where He is, that's where we're going to be. You can know that for sure. And if you don't know the Lord, He's prepared a place for you too, and it's a place called hell, and you don't want to be there, but you have a choice. And he goes on and he says that, you know, the remainder of your future is hidden from you until it happens. Your career, your marriage, your home location, grades in school, friends, sickness, accidents, honors, travels, income, retirement are all part of God's determined will, but not revealed to you ahead of time. And he asks the important question, what should a Christian's attitude be toward the determined will of God? Recognize very simply that it's a reality, that that's the way it is. And I thank God that he doesn't give me a glimpse of what he's got planned for me in the future because I can only handle one day at a time. I don't need to know that I'm saving for retirement and I'm not going to live to use it and all my relatives are going to get it. (laughs) I don't need to know that. You know, we don't need to know that. I don't need to know if I'm going to get hit by a car, you know, two months from now. I don't need to know that. I don't want to know that. But if that's God's determined will for my life, it's going to happen anyway, so there's no sense trying to fight it. And somehow through all of it, to still bring glory and praise to his name. And so he says, you know what? We're clearly taught in the word of God that God is good. And, all, and God he causes all things to happen to the good for those who love them and are called according to his purpose. 
And so as you consider these things, we need to understand that God makes his will known to us in some very simple ways. He desires us for, for us to know it, and he wants us to know it. And let me just share with you how you can know the will of God. How you can know the will of God. Jot this down, because it will be a lifesaver as far as eliminating stress in your life, trying to determine what it is. It's not a formula, but it's a good guideline as to helping you to identify what the will of God is. i got to make a couple of assumptions, first of all. First of all, i got to assume that you're fairly healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally. And the reason that I say that is that if you're not, you can be living in a fog. So I've got to lay out some, some, just, you know, some basis, basic assumptions here. If you're struggling with something, if you're emotionally not stable, if you're struggling with something physically, I'll, I'll guarantee you that it's going to be difficult for you to see clearly what God's will is. But that's all right, because God's made provisions for those of us who are in that state by surrounding us with people who are not. And so we need to make that assumption that we could be living in a fog. The second assumption that I have to make is that you really want to know what his will is. There are several people that I've talked to say, I really want to know the will of God. And you go through a process to explain to them what the will of God is, and they just say, fine, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. So what are you looking for? Are you looking for God's will in your life, or are you looking for some validation or stamp of approval by somebody here on earth that's, that's not going to give it to you? You know, it's one of those deals where I'm going for the second opinion. The second opinion said the same as the first opinion. The third opinion said the second, same as the second and first opinion. The fourth opinion said the same as the third, second, and first opinion. The fifth opinion said the same fourth, third, second, first opinion, right? So what do you do? You get the opinion number 87, and it tells you what you want to hear, and you go, oh, that's it. That's what? That's the opinion I was looking to hear. Well, too bad. You want to know God's will or not? If you want to know his will, I've got to assume that you do, and you'll be available to listen to what he has to say and not try to read into it what you want him to say. And uh, also assume that you'll be willing to change. And when you discover what God's will is, you say, fine, that's God's will. I'm willing to adapt to it. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to change my opinion, my mind, the direction that I was going. Hey, that's what God says. That's what I'm going to do. I've got to change. I, gotta, I have to be not conformed to this world, but I've got to be transformed by the renewing of my mind through the word of God. I've got to go a different direction. The assumption has to be there. And the other thing is, I've got to assume you're a Christian. Because the will of God for your life, if you're not a Christian, is very simple. And that is that he doesn't care about anything else at this point, but you coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because he doesn't want anybody trying to live a Christian life because you can't live it outside of knowing Christ. Because a Christian has enough time to live in God's life because we continue to resist the desired will of God. And we, when we struggle and fight with Christ who lives within us, and he wants us to go a certain direction, and we battle him all day long, I'm not going that way. And he's like, well, it would really be a good idea. And you have that little internal struggle. As a, as a non-Christian, you don't have any of that. So I've got to assume you're a Christian. Here's the way it goes. Number one, read your Bible. Man, you just don't get depth like this anywhere, do you? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I mean, it does, I mean that's as simple as it gets. See, God has placed in your hands. Think about this. God has placed in my hands and your hands in a variety of shapes and forms and a variety of translations. He has placed in our hands his will for our lives. Is that amazing or what? He has taken the time to get it to us 
He has spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and used a lot of different people over a long period of time to get this into our hands. He has got it translated into our language, which was, by the way, his determined will, so that we could have it, so that we can know him, and we can know what he wants us to do in our life. Read your Bible. You don't have to go by dreams. Everything's yellow. 747 on the alarm clock. You don't have to go by whims or hunches, a razzle-dazzle, a hocus-pocus. You don't have to go through any of that stuff, man. Just pick this thing up and read it. And do it systematically and not randomly. Hey, you got a problem with anger? If nothing else, look up in the concordance, anger. Get your dictionary out and look up anger. And find every reference in the Bible that makes mention of anger. And you know what? Sit down and write it down. Here's what God's will is in that area. Be angry and yet sin not. Just write it down. You got a problem with lust? What does the Bible have to say about lust? What does the Bible have to say about sexual immorality? What does the Bible have to say about marriage? What does the Bible have to say about family? What does the Bible have to say about finances? What does the Bible have to say about... You name the subject and the topic, what does the Bible have to say about it? That's the place to start. You don't start going to ask someone else. You don't start anywhere else. This is where you start. Pick it up and read it. And do it systematically and do it with an understanding that God's not a God of confusion and random and He just didn't slap it all together and hope that we find it. Look it up. Read it. And he's got precepts. Very simple. Speed limit, 35 miles an hour. Cut and dried. Non-negotiable. And the will of God is you abstain from every fleshly lust which wades war against your member. That's the will of God. And the will of God is that in everything you give thanks and praise. That's the will of God. It is predetermined. It is determined. It is non-negotiable. He lays it out. It's easy to understand. That's a precept. Then you got principles. It's not do this or don't do that. But here's some guidelines to help you make a decision. It doesn't say, thou shalt not move to Colorado. You know, commandment 12 doesn't say that. Thou shalt not close down your business. Hang in there three more months. I've got some surprises for you. doesn't say that. Be great if it did. Be wonderful if it did. But it doesn't. The principle is drive carefully. And you know what I found? That those general guidelines are the kind of things that keep us on our knees before God. They make us stop they make us slow down. They make us seek His will. They make us seek His wisdom. They're the things that keep us in constant communication with God. Because all the rest of the stuff, we don't need to talk to Him about anymore, really, when you get right down to it. This is the will of God for my life. Bang. Okay, and then I have no sense talking to Him or praying about it. What cracks me up is people pray about things that God already says you can't do. What do you think He's going to do? Give you an exception or something? If he gives you an exception, he gives everyone an exception. And if it's all exception, then you can't believe a thing that he says. 
And that's not true because God cannot lie and he's not going to change his mind. This is it. For, for, for all of eternity, this is it. Heaven and earth pass away, but my word never will fade. This is it right here. So he doesn't change his mind. So the principles and the guidelines are those things that help us to continually be on our knees before God. God, should we move? Should we not move? Should we have more kids? Should we not? Should we go into business? Or should we not? What should we do? We need your help. Help. It goes on. Remain sensitive. Remain sensitive. Look around you. Is God opening doors? Is he closing doors? Write it down. Keep track of it. Get a journal out. Trace what God's doing in your life. Look around you. I've talked to many people. It's like, hey, you know, well, God opened this door. And I went through that with my friend who's moving to Colorado. Well, God opened this door, opened this door. Here's what he did. He did this, he did that, he did this, he did that. And it's obvious that he's leading them a certain direction. But then what's funny is, expect a few obstacles to you. Because there's always going to be a couple things that come up that you go, is that a stop sign now? Or is that still a go sign and he's just testing to see what the desires of our heart are? And you got to keep praying about it. And you keep waiting on the Lord. And you see striving and know that he's God and you slow down. See, too many times what happens is we're in a big hurry for our will to be done and not God's. And if there's one thing that I want to encourage you, and that's this, slow down. Slow down. And listen to what he's saying. And look around you. And look within you. And what I mean by that is very simply this. That the Spirit of God will give you a peace and a contentment and a satisfaction when you're in the will of God. That no one else in the world could give you. See, because I can tell you, yeah, that seems like that's God's will. But if you still are at unrest and you still don't have a peace about it, it doesn't matter how many people tell you because God hasn't affirmed that in your life. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Know what the will of God is. Also, recognize the counsel of qualified people. Listen to counsel. Find people that love the Lord, that know the word of God, and ask them what they think. Have them with you look at Scripture. Turn to passages. Identify principles and precepts that are, that are true of God to help you determine what God's will is. As iron sharpens iron, so another brother sharpens another brother. We see in Exodus 18 the story of Jethro and Moses and Jethro going to him and giving him godly counsel as to how to handle judging the people. We see the delegation. We see the results. We see the, the, the lack of turmoil and confusion. We see order and structure, and that's the God that we have. Order and structure and purpose. And he's just saying, hey, recognize the counsel of qualified people. And qualified people basically fall into this category. Those who know Jesus Christ, those who love Jesus Christ, those who walk in obedience with Jesus Christ, and those who know the word of God. I don't care how many degrees they have from institutions around our country. If they don't have those thing, four things going for them, then all the rest is nonsense. 
I've seen some of the worst counsel come from people who are educated by the world. We need people who are educated by the word. Those are the people you need to go to for counsel. <laughs> Number four, we need to respond in obedience. Once you got it, just do it. As simple as that. Once you know what God wants you to do, do it. There's one more thing I want to interject here because I did a wedding yesterday and it really, got, it really hit home. And that is that if you're married, one of those qualified people is going to be your spouse. Because the two are no longer two, but the two have become one flesh. And God's will is never that you're separated or divided on any issue in your marriage and in your family. You want to move, your wife doesn't want to move, then you wait, you slow down, and you two keep praying about it. Because God's going to change one of your minds if it's meant for you to move or not to move. I see it in boards on churches. I see where people have disagreements, and we just slow down and wait and pray about it. And God moves within the hearts of people. If you're married, don't you ever do something that your spouse says don't do. You know why? Because then you live with this. I told you so. And, that's just, and, and not that that's bad enough, but it's not worth the division that it causes in your relationship and the lack of testimony that you'll then have before the world. Before you do anything, agree upon it together. And until you can, don't do it. Keep praying about it. Respond in obedience. Now let me close with this last thing. Once you make a decision... And this could be point five. Resist the temptation to second-guess yourself after the decision is made. I see more Christians beat themselves up after they've made a decision. Did we really do what God wanted us to do? Have we really made the right decision? Is this really the right thing? You know, we all, it's kind of like the, the, the buyer's remorse of Christianity. It's like, you know, and, and I talked to the guy, he goes, well, you know, we always get like that, you know, anytime we do anything. I say, why? Well, you know, it's just, it's just the way that it is. I said, wait, let me ask you a question. If you follow these principles that are laid out, if what you're doing doesn't violate the written word of God, okay, if, if you go down through and you look at this and you're remaining sensitive to the Spirit of God and He gives you a peace about what you're going to do and there's a satisfaction as you're doing it and, and your spouse is in agreement if you're married and, you're, and even if your children are in agreement and all of you are in agreement and God gives you a peace about it and it doesn't violate what He's already written here in His Word and all those things are they're green lights, man. Go, 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 go. Do it, do it, do it. And, count, and, and qualified people of God say to you, you know what, I don't see anything that you want to do that would violate Scripture, but I can't tell you what to do. That is between you and God. You needed to come to that decision yourself. And all of those things, and you respond, and you go and you do it, and you go and you start a business, or you go and you move into a new area, or you decide to have another child. And it doesn't turn out like you thought it would turn out at the very beginning. Resist the temptation to second-guess yourself because God's at work in that situation. And what He's saying is you went through the right process to make the decision. Now, trust me, now that you're here. 
I've seen a couple that they prayed about having another child, and God's like, go for it, man, that's the way to go. And then the child is born with Down syndrome, and they second-guessed, did we do the right thing? Why? Because it didn't turn out the way we thought. I've seen people move, and it didn't turn out the way they thought. They thought they'd make more money. They thought they'd have a bigger house. They thought they'd have all these things. And maybe that was what they were thinking, but they went through the right process. And God said, wait a minute. I'm working all things together for your good. Don't you give up on me now. We're not done yet. And you know Abraham thought the same thing. Oh man, I'm running into resistance here. You know Daniel thought the same thing. You know Joseph thought the same thing. You know all the apostles thought the same thing as they were beaten and whipped and stoned and thrown in prison. Is this God's will? Did we go the right place? Are we doing the right thing? We all, you know, we always struggle with that. But if you've made the right process in determining God's will and then decide to do it, Solomon says this, cast your bread upon the water and not many days from now it will return to you. You know what he's saying is? You've made, you've gone through the right approach. You've made the right decision before God. Now let it go and let God take over. And he says not many days. He didn't say and right away. Let him work. Let him work. Knowing that he loves you and he hasn't brought you out of Egypt to dump you in the desert. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth in owing God's will. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to take a look at a subject that uh, has brought much confusion to many of us. God, may we uh, continue to look at your word as you specifically tell us what's right and what's wrong. May we be obedient to your precepts. If you say don't, we don't. If you say do, we do. We should. God, we know you also have given us principles and guidelines to look at. They don't clearly define every decision that we have to make, and yet they give us some direction as to how to approach it. And it also forces us to be constantly on our knees before you, to seek your wisdom, to trust in you for direction and guidance. For those who are married, God, you've given us a spouse who can help us make those decisions in life. May we never resist the fact that the two have become one and we need to be like-minded in all of our decisions. Whether it's from moving or areas of ministry, whatever the gamut or range that's, that's to be decided, may we trust in one another's decisions, input, and we just thank you for that wonderful gift that you've given us. God, may we be sensitive to your spirit who lives within us to guide us and direct us into all truth. May we not resist him. May we always be tuned in to what he has to say. God, thank you for godly men and women who surround us. The Bible tells us that older women should instruct younger women, that older mature men should instruct younger men that we should be willing to listen to the counsel that they give us as it conforms to your word. Lord, and as we've come through this process and we've come to a point of making a decision, may we respond in obedience, resisting the temptation to second-guess ourselves, knowing that you are in control, that you are in command, and your determined will will come to pass. May we glorify you and your desired will. May we not resist it. There may be people of obedience who love you, who obey you, and as a result can be witnesses and a testimony to a world that's in rebellion against you. And we just thank you that you're a God of peace, 
that you're a God of purpose, of clarity, and not confusion. And we thank you and praise you in Christ's name.